My name is Richard Henry, and you're listening to the COVID-19 Challenge podcast. The part that we're going to talk about in this, in, in this podcast is what systems or what proteins does the coronavirus use in us, and knowing that it, what, what it does in its life cycle, how does that then make some of us sick? And the key to this virus is that unlike say something like Ebola virus which which I think really makes most people sick although not all of them die uh, we know that with uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2 that only a small percentage of us say 5% of us um, end up in hospital and uh, around one or less than 1% of us will actually die from the virus and there are certain types of humans that, that die from this virus and there's both a, a genetic type as well as a, an, an epigenetic type of human that's at risk so that if you're young and healthy and skinny and um, the chance of you uh, even getting sick from this virus are really infinitesimally small, the chance of you spreading the virus is small. But if you uh, happen to be older and if you're obese, uh, males, uh, African-American, and you already have some, some, some diseases associated with this particular protein that the virus uses, then um, you're at a much higher risk of getting very sick and, and in fact, even dying. And so just as the, this virus has evolved from being a cold virus now to being something quite lethal and something quite different, so humans have changed their phenotypic pattern and their use of their genes as we become domesticated. And we now make a protein um, in our bodies uh, at rather large excessive amounts in certain humans, which I've just described, which then is very suitable to the virus. So this virus has become um, uh, evolved to bind to ACE2 protein and use ACE2 protein in our body to get into our cells. In doing so, it destroys ACE2. So the more ACE2 you have that the virus can bind to, the more viruses, more times viruses are going to get into your cell and replicate. So these are called life cycles, and the cell can cycle in and back and back and back and back into cells until all the ACE2 is used up. Um, the other thing this virus has done, other than changing its ability to bind to ACE2 to make it much more uh, attracted and easily to bind to ACE2, is it also makes a protein that temporarily dis disables the innate immune system in the cell, so the cell is not able to respond to this virus even though it knows it's there and is unable to call out help. So there's a quiet time while the virus is busy replicating that the person who's been infected doesn't know they're sick. They don't have an immune response. They don't get inflammation. They don't get a fever and a cough and feel sick. Uh, but in fact, the virus is replicating madly and actually getting back out into the sputum and spreading. And this is what's made the virus so spreadable, is that not only is it very potent and we need small droplets to spread from person to person, but we can also spread f um, from people who are, are yet to become symptomatic. So in the very early stages of the illness, before you even get sick, you may be spreading the virus and maybe a day or two, we're not really sure, uh, but just long enough to get the virus to spread to somebody else close to you. And it's this phenomenon that's, that's caused um, governments around the world to get um, their citizens to, to self-isolate or to isolate into small groups, to uh, distance themselves from each other called social distancing, and to wear face masks. Now, these are all laws and rules that, um, that need to be obeyed because they're rules. 
not necessarily because they're right or wrong, but because they're rules. And the, the trick with scientists is to help the, the politicians and the rule makers get, get the rules right um, so that they, we have a cost-effective approach to this virus. So I'm not going to get into um, uh, face masks and social distancing and lockdown. As beyond, uh, I don't really want to bring it into this podcast. So we have a virus that is now um, highly um, evolved to bind to ACE2 to three or four hundred times more um, higher affinity to ACE2 than the previous uh, SARS virus, which came out in 2001, 2002, which caused the first SARS outbreak. So this virus has actually improved somewhere between then and now. Um, one or two amino acids in the, in the protein that binds to ACE2 uh, changed and um, it's a whole different virus in terms of its ability to, to bind to ACE2 and therefore to spread. Now, let's talk about ACE2. ACE2 is part of the renin-angiotensin system, and uh, as I said, I was working on systems approach to illness. So the renin-angiotensin system works throughout our bodies, and it's basically there to maintain a seawater environment for all the cells in our, in our body. All life evolved in the ocean, in the ancient ocean, and all those systems were set up in, in ancient ocean and were dependent on the pH of the ocean, the oxygen carbon dioxide tension, and um, as well as the salt content. So our interstitial fluid is pretty much the same as ancient oceans in terms of all of those things. Um, once we became a multicellular organism and were independent and wrapped up in our own skin, we still needed to maintain that ocean environment uh, inside of us, and we do that by uh, the things that we eat and drink and uh, the things that we excrete. And so we're constantly creating a balance between what we bring in and out to maintain this, this wonderful ocean seawater environment. Um, we also, uh, by doing this, we're able to keep the temperature a lot better controlled uh, as well, because proteins are also very pr uh, temperature sensitive. So we actually improved on seawater by, by adding temperature control to that. Now, in order to maintain this, this seawater environment, we use our kidneys, we use our lungs and our, and our heart and cardiovascular system, all the blood vessels, to circulate fluid around the body. Um, and we use the kidneys to make sure that the, the salt uh, levels are right. And we use our lungs to maintain the, the right oxygen and carbon dioxide levels. As a, as a bit of tissue becomes more, more um, metabolically active, it'll need higher turnover of... of um, of substances and fluids and salts, and so blood flow has to increase. And if it's not very active, you can decrease blood flow there and go somewhere else. And so blood vessels themselves are always responding to the requirement of the tissue that they serve, uh, and they have the blood um, muscles in the blood vessels that will constrict or relax um, to uh, regulate flow into that area. Um, into that into that tissue, so uh, our brains use a lot of oxygen and a lot of um, glucose, and we have very good blood supply to our brain. Probably a quarter of our cardiac output goes to our brain, whereas resting muscle doesn't require much. Fat requires even less, and so you can really cut down on blood flow to those areas. Um, because if we had the same blood flow as we had to our brain to all of our whole body, the heart would be massive and would be working probably uh, a hundredfold more more than it does. So we've been able to really um, use a, get away with a smaller pump with less energy for, for pumping and priming uh, by regulating flow and getting just enough flow to different parts of our body as required. So then it comes down to how do we control blood flow and blood, blood pressure. And there are two 
um, two systems within this system. One is the, the nervous system through the autonomic nerves, your sympathetic nerves, parasympathetic nerves that originate up in the brain. And the brain uh, gets information about blood flow from places like your aorta, um, blood flow area of areas in the brain itself that regulate, um, that measure flow and oxygen tension. Um, and then uh, they uh, send out a message through the sympathetic nervous system directly to the heart and blood vessels and also indirectly through the adrenal gland uh, using adrenaline and noradrenaline to say, hey guys, we need more flow here. Uh, can you increase this? Those those neurotransmitters cause, cause release of calcium, which causes muscles to contract more strongly. So your heart will contract more strongly and your blood vessels will contract. And therefore, you have a, a more blood flow and at a, at a higher pressure. Using the calcium system is, is fairly safe. Uh, there are no long-term bad effects from it, generally. And um, it can last a lifetime quite nicely. You can also pre-plan pre, uh, or pre-book some increased blood flow so when we're about to be threatened or about to do something exciting or that's going to be demanding we can actually increase your cardiac output and your breathing uh, in advance of, of the event and so that those muscles are, are primed and there's, there's increased blood flow through them so it's a, it's a very well adapted system obviously the second system is the one that this virus affects and that's the renin-angiotensin system and that relies on blood flow through the, through the kidney. So the kidney set itself up as the organ that, that uh, monitors blood flow uh, on behalf of all the other organs in the body um, in conjunction with the brain, but also separate from the brain. So uh, they, they do act independently. This system relies uh, doesn't rely on calcium to cause increased cardiac output and blood flow, but actually uh, uses the nitric oxide um, second messenger molecule. Now, nitric oxide is a, a very um, elegant little molecule that was really only discovered 20, 30 years ago um, in its effect on, on, on blood vessels. So it's produced uh, by the endothelium, which is the cells that line the blood vessel, and causes the smooth muscle again in blood vessels to dilate, to relax and open up and increase blood flow. This is now starting to be more understood and is produced on an ongoing basis. So nitric oxide is produced on an ongoing basis. You can upregulate it uh, if you're an athlete and if you do certain things, you can get more nitric oxide and be able to really increase blood flow through, through, through uh, muscle. And that's what really being fit is all about. Now, once that muscle doesn't need as much blood flow, it needs to be able to switch that flow off. And instead of switching off nitric oxide production, it literally um, produces a molecule called superoxide, which is an oxidative molecule, oxygen with an extra electron, which then binds to nitric oxide and shuts it down. There's a very fast reaction, and so it can be switched on and off within, within microseconds and uh, gives you that, that super fine control um, of, of blood flow through, through all of our tissues all of the time. Now, the idea was that we're not, we weren't supposed to use this system very much because uh, we were running around as in our wild type, uh, running around exercising, staying alive during the day, and only at night when we're sleeping would you use some of that to de decrease blood flow through your muscles, shunt it off to your, to your gut where you uh, are um, digesting food and taking away nutrients and then replacing that into, into all, of, all, all of your tissues while you sleep before you get up in the morning. So um, this system, as I said, originates in the, in the kidney where there's a, a protein is made in response to poor blood flow called renin, which then uh, signs and date stamps a, a message 
uh, system to the body saying we need to increase blood pressure and blood flow, and that's called uh, angiotensinogen. So it's a, a long protein which ran and then chops off the active piece. And that active piece now becomes a, 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 an on signal which is then picked up by the target cells in your cardiovascular system and in your lungs and other, other parts of the body which respond to angiotens angiotensin. Um, they, they express a protein called angiotensin-converting enzyme, which then converts that into angiotensin II. Uh, and most of the most doctors, nurses, and, and medical people know about this. People who, who do biology have all heard of angiotensin II, which then causes the um, blood pressure and, uh, and uh, cardiac output to go up. So very much like the calcium system, um, but uh, it does it by um, actually stopping nitric oxide from getting to the target organ by producing superoxide. So now you actually are, are producing an oxidative molecule in your blood, all of your blood vessels, which is not a good thing. It, uh, it is good in that it increases your blood pressure, but over time, in excessive amounts, this will eventually cause blood vessel damage, and that's really the key to understanding cardiovascular disease or, or heart disease, coronary artery disease, is this excess, excessive production of the oxygen-free radical binding to nitric oxide producing peroxynitrite, uh, which causes vasoconstriction, but also damages a lot of the uh, workings of, of, those, of those blood vessels, which results in, in disease. Now, we still haven't got to ACE2 yet, so ACE1 is converting this signal into a positive signal raising, raising your blood pressure. When the cells involved in this uh, reach a point where they are too stressed to take on any more work in terms of, of contributing to high blood pressure and increased blood flow, the cell then produces a protein called ACE2, which actually changes the message of angiotensin 1 and converts it into a different molecule. Um, which then uh, which then counteracts the angiotensin II message and gets that cell to stand down and rest. So it's almost like having a union rep um, where the worker goes to, to union and says, they're making me work too hard, I, I cannot do this anymore, and the union rep step, union steps in and, and, and uh, uh, prevents the cell from having to work too hard. Um, so the more that a, a cell is driven, the more the body is driven to raise blood pressure, the more the cells try and subvert that by making ACE2. And so ACE2 is then a protein which is expressed. So the DNA, RNA is activated to make ACE2. The body, all those target cells become full of ACE2. As, as that human tries to increase blood pressure uh, because of drive from, from the kidney, um, and, but also survive without, without going into too much stress. The key to understanding all of this is that not only the kidney sends, makes that message uh, through, through renin, which then translates into angiotensin II, and is also amplified by aldosterone from the adrenal gland, but also fat cells um, can also make the same message. So fat generally in, in a healthy wild-type human is, uh, is, is sort of a thin layer uh, under the skin, there are little bits around blood vessels, and there's little bits around our, our organs and our, and our abdomen. But once we become domesticated and we have we eat more than we need, and we start to pack on the pounds, and we get uh, the new term as obese. Um, the, that those aggregations of fat cells, the, the cells themselves become huge, almost too big for them to get enough oxygen into them, and uh, they become quite densely packed, and uh, they have. A, very hard time getting enough blood flow. So in order to increase blood flow to fat, the fat cell itself will make aldosterone or, an or a, 
uh, um, hormone called leptin, which will also go to the adrenal gland and increase aldosterone production. So there you have the brain sending, getting the adrenal gland to help through adrenaline and noradrenaline. You have the kidney and fat cells getting help through, through releasing aldosterone, um, all driving those, um, your blood pressure higher and higher. So it's no, no wonder then that people with high blood pressure and people who are obese um, are at risk from this virus. So now we're starting to see that there's a, there's a correlation between what the virus does, which is depleting, depleting ACE2 and targeting humans with lots of ACE2, and the effect of ACE2 depletion. So if ACE2 is down-regulating that signal and you destroy it all, all of a sudden those cells are going to be subject to a massive drive to work. It's almost like the union reps have all left, the boss has arrived and is making everybody work 24-hour shifts to the point of exhaustion and even death. And that's what happens with, with uh, COVID-19, is that once the virus has cycled through the body and has used up all the ACE2, it then allows the immune system to switch on and evoke a, a, an immune response at the very same time that that body is now thrown into an acute ACE2 deficiency and the renin-angiotensin system is now in full overdrive. So the next thing to look at is, is what does the renin angiotensin system do at a cellular level and what does full overdrive mean? So um, aldosterone and the renin angiotensin system is basically an inflammatory um, steroid. It's hard to imagine, but yeah, it's an inflammatory steroid that induces inflammation. So it causes all of those target cells to release um, immune mediators from the cell itself. So... Um, um, These, um, pro these are engine, the mediators are in fact proteins. So aldosterone causes those proteins to be expressed and um, interleukin-1, interleukin-6, TNF-alpha are some of the, the main ones and these cells will then start uh, making these, these uh, inflammatory mediators which will improve blood flow, the ability to make blood vessels and blood flow um, and there's a sort of a healing effect uh, from, from, ex from high levels of aldosterone. So in the condition where you suddenly get a surge of aldosterone because ACE2 is now downregulated, you're going to get a surge in inflammation just as you get a surge in inflammation from the virus being present so that both of these co coalesce together and uh, the whole endothelium is now massively inflamed. Those endothelial cells will die and because they, they are cells that line the blood vessels, those blood vessels now become leaky because there's dead cells and therefore holes. And so the, um, the infected person then starts to leak fluid um, out of the blood vessels into their, into their tissue. And of course, the t one that we really do poorly with with leaking fluid is our lungs. So you get pulmonary edema, you get a wet lung. So you feel it's hard to breathe. The, the fluid in the lung um, blocks oxygen from being dissolved into the into the alveolar membrane and getting access into our blood, so it forms a barrier to oxygen. So our ability to absorb oxygen goes down. We get hypoxic, which then makes us very tired and eventually causes us, us to die. So you have this stiff lung with poor oxygen um, absorption uh, into our blood vessels. Uh, um, so that's the respiratory part of, of, of COVID, and it's a... a part of many, many uh, um, systemic inflammatory diseases. The same thing occurs in our heart, where blood vessels there become leaky, fluid leaks out, and the interstitial fluid around the heart cells becomes quite diluted. And uh, it's that dilution which then dilutes out uh, the, the, the very important salts such as calcium and potassium, which are vital for the heart to contract rhythmically. 
and so the, those people then end up with electrolyte-induced uh, arrhythmia and sudden cardiac arrest. The heart just stops because the electrical system is, is now um, out of whack. Those, those salts are, are, are diluted and you have a sudden cardiac death from which you don't come back. So you can do CPR, you can try and shock the heart, but until you change those, those electrolytes, uh, it's not going to happen. So in, a, in a, a heart that's not beating, it's very difficult to do that. So we know that CPR and resuscitation is generally not very effective. Uh, it's gone too far. The same blood vessels in your brain, in fact, they're everywhere they're in your gut, throughout your whole body. So it, what looks like a multi-system disease is actually a single-system endothelial renin angiotensin system disease that affects lots of different organs. So same system, different organs. Organs have di all participate in systems in a different way, and some organs will be, will be involved in more than one system, um, and then systems overlap. So this is a as a single system disease caused by ACE2 depletion, the virus using ACE2 to get into cells just as it was programmed to do. Um, and then humans who, who really require ACE2 in order to keep themselves in balance and to keep themselves alive will, will, will tend to be affected. So genetically, uh, the type of humans that, that have very powerful angiotensin, renal angiotensin systems and, and over-respond or respond more than the rest of us um, when they're required to, would be um, uh, Af um, Africans, particularly West Africans, and therefore African Americans. There are probably also some other race groups, but we'll just leave it at one for just for 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 simplicity. So, African African Americans classically have very powerful renal angiotensin systems, and suffer from early onset of, of hypertension, um, strokes, uh, and cardiac disease mediated through 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 aldosterone. Um, Remember, uh, uh, fat cells will make aldosterone when, when they don't have enough blood flow, so obesity is, is the next strongest correlation. In fact, 80% of people who uh, are sick with COVID and who die from COVID are obese. Um, the other groups that, that have um, really severely affected by this would be males. So men have a stronger aldosterone system than, than women and are more affected by, by the virus. Uh, um, so African-Americans are obese, males, um, and then people who already have aldosterone-mediated diseases, and those fit under the category of um, metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is obesity, high blood pressure, often diabetes, cardiovascular disease, which again is an aldosterone effect. Right? You can see how that human is now driven um, by the obesity to make more aldosterone, which is driving their vascular system, which is then producing ACE2 to try and downregulate it. Along comes the virus and messes up that regulatory uh, system, um, interferes with that phenotype, creates a, a very powerful, very short, uh, very strong imbalance. Person is thrown into an inflammatory crisis and then dies. So the key then is, is, if, is not to have a lot of ACE2. Um, so you can't not be male, you can't not be African-American, but you certainly cannot be obese. You certainly cannot be unfit. Um, so the, you know, the, we've reached a point in our society where we are afraid to tell people that being obese or being fat, as I used to call it in, in South Africa, is not healthy. It is not healthy. Um, it's very strongly related to high blood pressure, and high blood pressure is strongly related to strokes and heart disease. But it's not the pressure that's causing the disease, it's the, it's the aldosterone, which is induced by, by the, um, the fat cells, which are they're too many, and they're too tightly packed, and they don't have enough blood flow, and they're screaming for blood, so they're stressing the body to increase blood flow through them. And all we've got to do is get those cells to be smaller. 
Um, so losing weight would cause those fat cells to shrink a little bit, um, and therefore there'd be more room for, for, for blood to, 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 to flow through that, that tissue. The, the fat that's really the worst is um, in your abdomen, so that's why abdominal obesity is so, so it makes you so ill, and also perivascular. So there's that fat just around your coronary arteries, around your aorta, pushing out all these inflammatory mediators, pushing out aldosterone, uh, causing oxidative stress, and it's no wonder we end up with cardiovascular disease. Uh, you won't see that very often in wild-type humans, as you won't see it very often in wild-type um, animals. So it's definitely a, a, um, a um, um, domesticated illness. The last step then is this, because this illness is an angiotensin II depletion disease, and angiotensin II was only first discovered in 2001, was first published in 2001. A year later, SARS-1 came out, which was an angiotensin, uh, an ACE2 virus, targeting virus, and nobody had a clue, what none of, although the few scientists did, but the rest of us didn't have a clue what ACE2 was, let alone what an ACE2 virus was. Uh, fast forward sort of close to 20 years, and we're just getting the hang of what ACE2 is, but uh, uh, science translation into medicine moves very slowly. And um, most of my colleagues, almost all of my medical students, uh, my residents have never heard of ACE2, uh, and, and I only knew about it because I was researching in that, in that area. Knowing that this virus it messes with the angiotensin system, you would think that doctors would really concentrate very very strongly on that system and bring in people with expertise in that system, which would be cardiologists. Um, and, and so let's look back. So we know that the people are, that are high at risk are um, older because their their energy system has had time to create more disease. They have more fat relative to muscle. So old, uh, fat, African-American men um, have the highest phenotype with, with ACE2 expression. Um, when we look at, at um, so we look at diseases that affect them. We look at drugs that affect that system. Uh, somebody who is on, on drugs that will, that will tend to decrease ACE2 or decrease the effect of ACE2 depletion actually do markedly better. So there's a drug called an angiotensin receptor blocker, which blocks the product of ACE1. So therefore, it's almost like a, a, an ACE1 blocker. Um, there are also drugs that are ACE1 blockers. But if you, if you downregulate ACE1 while you having ACE2 smashed up by the virus, the survival actually increases by 0.6. So 60% increase survival by just using that one drug. Um, another drug that's been found to be successful is um, dexamethasone, which is a, st a steroid-like drug, which causes the adrenal gland to stop producing aldosterone. Now, aldosterone binds to a aldosterone receptor in those cells, which then causes the, the nucleus to produce uh, RNA or to read um, DNA to make RNA to make proteins that affect uh, increased blood pressure and, inc and increased immunity uh, in those cells. So if you can um, decrease um, aldosterone release, um, you're going to sort of downregulate the whole, the whole disease process. Now, surprisingly, regular steroids, so corticosteroids, actually bind to the mineral cord receptor and actually agonize it, so they make the disease worse, particularly when that, that receptor is oxidized, which is occurring during, during the disease. So that's why uh, corticosteroids make you worse and dexamethasone makes you better. Um, now imagine we could combine those two, uh, and there's a number of other things that we could do uh, to improve health, and I'm just going to run through them quickly although I'm not advocating that we use any of these or I'm not giving you medical advice. But um, because the renin angiotensin system increases blood pressure through oxidation, 
through causing peroxynitrite, if you had better antioxidant protection, you could, you could then uh, break down that peroxynitrite and get rid of that signal and prevent damage from, from that oxidative signal. So we're producing excess oxidation, you're gonna want good antioxidation. And the two best antioxidant molecules in our body are vitamin C and glutathione. We don't make vitamin C anymore as humans, along with guinea pigs and other primates. We lost a critical um, um, enzyme. We still have the gene for it, but we don't use it, which converts glucose into vitamin C in times of stress. And that's why when you're sick, your blood sugar goes up or your blood glucose goes up because it's anticipated that you're going to use that to make vitamin C to counteract the oxidative stress which your body's under. You're using oxidation to kill the invaders, but you want to protect your own body from the oxidative stress, so you make more more vitamin C. So we don't we don't make any. So when we get sick, it's really a, makes pretty good sense to import vitamin C, um, and that's another whole subject. But it 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 goes directly into the renin-angiotensin system. The other antioxidant, which is very powerful and as is modifiable, is glutathione. So glutathione is a three amino acids put together. The middle one is amino acid with, with a sulfur, sulfur atom in it, and that's called cysteine. So cysteine, just like oxygen, loves an extra electron. It'll suck that extra electron off um, oxygen, but it'll hold on to it a lot better. So it makes a better partner for the electron. So one way of getting rid of that extra electron, other than vitamin C, is to put it into, into your sulfur amino acid called cysteine, which is part of, of uh, glutathione. Now we make glutathione and we keep on rejuvenating with, with vitamin C. And people who don't make a lot of glutathione, whose enzyme is downregulated, are people who have high blood sugar. So diabetics um, have very low, poor levels of glutathione and glutathione peroxidase. So their antioxidant system doesn't work. Hence, their vascular disease gets worse. So if you've got vascular disease mediated through aldosterone, the renin system, and you're diabetic, things accelerate, things go a lot faster. If you're obese, diabetic with high blood pressure, things go a lot faster. If you add that to smoking, oxidant stress, if you add that to poor diet, you end up uh, needing vascular surgery and having all sorts of complications in your 20s. So it's remarkable how quickly these um, systems add on to each other. And that's why antioxidants play a role in treating um, or potentially could play a role in treating um, COVID disease. Another system that plays into renin-angiotensin system uh, on a reparative basis is um, is um, the system that sort of revolves around sunlight. And um, sun is one of the stresses on on uh, in bio in in nature that all all um, living cells are exposed to. And and sun in humans makes a um, molecule called vitamin D. It's not really a vitamin, it's actually a very powerful uh, hormone, which then uh, activates about 400 genes, which then promotes um, anti-inflammatory and antioxidant effect and almost an anti-cancer effect. So being vitamin D deficient is really not good for you. Um, being Having enough vitamin D, although it requires you to go into the sun, vitamin D will actually protect you from skin cancer if you have enough when you go into the sun. Um, so we know that sunlight... Um, and people who live in areas where they see the sun, actually get the sun on their skin, seem to do uh, better with, uh, with COVID uh, amongst, uh, amongst other diseases. Sunlight also um, breaks, causes you to make a, an enzyme called hemoxygenase, which then breaks, uh, has an antioxidant effect. It's a little bit complicated. Uh, when, we break, when we break up an old red cell and we break up hemoglobin, there's an iron molecule in there, and iron is very, very uh, ox oxidative. Um, and we need to, to get rid of this iron safely. 
into into bilirubin, uh, which goes into bile and is excreted, and hemoxygenase does that, and it's activated by sunlight. Um, and so going to the sun will activate this very quickly and have another profound antioxidant effect. Um, I hope you're still with me on all of this. So we literally have a single system disease, uh, phenotypic change in domesticated humans. We are now facing and staring down a virus which is perfectly, perfectly adapted to take advantage of that by using ACE2 um, to gain cell entry and to allow multiple cell cycles to replicate and spread. And um, putting those two together, we now have a COVID, um, a SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. And this is what I call the, the, uh, the COVID challenge and that this virus is now challenging us in our domesticated state to come up with some understanding of this as quickly as possible and to, and to fix it. Um, for now, we've got holding, holding systems in place which separates humans and is trying to decrease the spread. Whether it's working or not, that's debatable and beyond the scope of this podcast. Uh, we're trying to give each person some uh, artificial immunity or some induced immunity through vaccines, another separate topic. Um, but the, the, I think the one key part that we're not addressing is why do some humans have increased ACE2 and how can we temporize them through this virus as they go through ACE2 depletion? Can we actually mo modify their, 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 their physiology, which is what doctors do, temporarily to allow them to survive until A, the virus is gone, and B, they can, they can start making ACE2 again, and they get back into balance. And of course, if you're a preventative medicine um, specialist, then you're going to say, well, let's try and prevent obesity. Let's understand obesity. Let's look at all the effects, all the things that affect the an energy tension system and, and put it back into that of a, of a healthy 20-year-old. Um, and um, the more I looked at this, the more I realized that the energy tension system is implicated in most of our modern diseases. It's, it's actually quite frightening. And this virus is going to force us to understand this or or if we don't, we're going to continue being quite sick. Um, I don't believe we'll get on top of this viral pandemic until we underst uh, and understand the renal system and bring it into our um, mechanisms and, uh, and, and pay heed to it. Um, at the moment, um, people in my hospital um, are treated with oxygen. They are ventilated if they get tired and they can't breathe themselves. Then we hook them up to a machine which will breathe for them, just blow their air in and let it come out instead of them drawing in because the, the amount of energy they use and oxygen they use to produce that energy to draw in a breath is actually more oxygen than they get from that breath. So they go into a deficit and die. So if you can stop them breathing, you stop them using all that oxygen to breathe, they can use that oxygen for something else. And so we, we make those muscles kind of uh, relax. We stop them, we stop the diaphragm particularly working and, and we breathe for them until they can catch up. Uh, we try and push that fluid out of their lungs, and then we also use an um, antiviral agent called remdesivir, which tries to interfere with the virus when it's in your cell, which doesn't really work that well. There's really no other, not much else done in terms of interfering or trying to rectify ACE2 depletion, and that makes me quite sad. Um, I myself am involved in the front line, and as an anesthesiologist, I I give anesthetics to people who may have the virus or who do have the virus, and then as we get more illness in our community, I'll probably be involved with intubating, being around these patients when they first need to be intubated and have a breathing tube put down. Um, I have um, seen one person with, with COVID. 
uh, and that was a patient who was having an MRI in the machine next to the machine that I was looking after with a baby who was getting an MRI for something else. So that's the closest I've come to the virus, but I've um, certainly been read as much as I possibly can over the last year about it, and um, I paid close attention to it. I did file a patent on the use of an aldosterone blocker, uh, drugs to reduce the aldosterone effect, um, and um, I haven't pursued that patent at all. I took the idea to some drug companies, particularly to the, the largest one that owned the best aldosterone blocker called Pfizer, and was told that Pfizer was more interested in pursuing the, the vaccine um, approach to, to the virus and didn't want to be involved with using their drug uh, to treat people with, with COVID. Um, later came to, I later understood that in order for this vaccine to be approved on an emergency basis, the one caveat is there has to be no treatment available for the infection. And so for a company to promote both the vaccine and a treatment was actually kind of productive and, and it, it would, wouldn't make any sense for the company uh, to do both. And I certainly understand that their, their job is to, is to produce products that sell. And, and so they've gone with, the answer came back to they're going with the vaccine. And so that's what they've done. Unfortunately, um, the, the whole narrative around ACE2 remains obscure and uh, has been published by other people as well, but has really got into the mainstream media because it's a difficult subject to understand. Um, and I'm hoping that some of my explanation um, or my explanation has been uh, 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 transparent enough that you've come away with an understanding of it.